back to the Unveiled podcast. Today we are exploring this topic in a 10-part series on uh, gaining access to legal psilocybin for end-of-life cancer patients as a charter challenge is about to take place on behalf of Theracil, a nonprofit out of Victoria that is seeking to help alleviate end-of-life anxiety for patients across Canada. A number of patients were able to be successful in, in getting a Section 56 exemption out of a Schedule One narcotics list for psilocybin uh, last year and two years ago, but it uh, seems like Health Canada has really uh, stopped that and uh, they're trying to advocate for a different approach, but it leaves many, many hundreds of patients in limbo uh, looking for a treatment that we know is effective. Uh, we've seen the research at Johns, Johns Hopkins, NYU, other places, and we really want to advocate for Canadian patients to have access to psilocybin uh, if they want to have that with consultation with their doctor and therapist. So we're exploring that in a 10-part series today. We have on as a guest, Jim Doswell. Uh, we, will, we will get him to introduce himself and, and uh, talk about his story a little bit and how he's on this podcast. But he is one of these people that I think has a really up-close uh, and personal story around this topic. Welcome to Unveiled Podcast here, Jim. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Peg. It's good to be with you. So why don't we just start, but before we get into your story, I want to know a little bit of background. I want a few people to kind of feel into you a little bit, Jim. Uh, I, I looked at your bio, you can get online and, and uh, you have done some really fascinating thing. And I guess for me, the stuff that really jumps out is, is your work with conflict resolution and particularly as chief federal negotiator, uh, Indian Affairs and Northern Development for treaties in Northern Vancouver Island, Northern British Columbia. So you have been up close and personal and working with the courts and uh, Indian Affairs and a lot of uh, a lot of these agencies helping negotiate things. Tell me a little about your background. What is it you do? And uh, walk me walk me through a little bit of your uh, kind of professional life first. Um, well, um, as a really a young guy in Vancouver, I was um, you know before I turned twenty, I was a photographer and worked with the Georgia Strait and a lot of other folks and did some concerts and promoted some concerts and things like that. And, and um, um, I, I ended up coming back into uh, the, uh, to Wasson where I'd grown up um, uh, with my father looking for a business and ended up uh, working together with a local guy in the development industry for the next eight years and developing hotels and things like that and and um, developed a huge interest in tourism mm -hmm. and um, I uh, um, at 29 I, just as I was turning 30 I was appointed as the assistant deputy minister of tourism in BC and that was in 1985 just before the expo so I had a marvelous time of, of oh. using Expo. Expo 86. Can we just stop for a second? Because oh, yeah. rarely yeah. do people ever reference Expo 86. I mean, I was 16 at the time. This was like for a kid who just got his license, Expo 86 was a party. Uh, Jim, you were behind that, eh? That's really cool. I was one of, I was uh, uh, the Assistant Deputy Minister of Development and Tourism. Um, there were, uh, you know, like all successes in government, it had at least a thousand fathers. But um, 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 surprisingly, you never hear about the year of music. It, it, it doesn't have any fathers whatsoever. But uh, anyway, Expo was a lot of fun to be part of. But the brilliance in Expo came from Mike Horsey, who was the deputy minister of tourism and the man who brought me into government. And Mike was probably the most brilliant 
marketer in history. And, uh, and I, I, I really mean that from working with him. He was a creative genius. He took one look at Expo and said, now, how do we make this work for British Columbia? Mm. And he says, I know. It's the test drive. Let's get everybody here. And he says, get as many people here as possible to, to drive our new car and see what they think of it. So let's modernize our systems. And then they went about and they modernized the Liquor uh, Act of British Columbia so we didn't look like a bunch of pilgrims. And uh, nothing against pilgrims. But um, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm partially descended from them. So, I, but um, I think the, the, um, the world came to a fair, but what they saw was Vancouver. And, and we got what we wished for, but it certainly wasn't what we thought it would be. And that is we became an international city. And it, it happened all in like one year. It was quite amazing to yeah. see. Well, you know, so where did that land you in the last, uh, what's the last decade got for you, uh, Jim? Well, I left Honduras in, in, uh, in uh, I was actually, I just said, that's it. I checked out. I'm going home. I'm on the beach for a while. I'm going to try to figure out what the next piece looks like. And I was sitting in the Miami airport. <clears throat> And, 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 and getting drunk with a group of people <laughs> were new friends. And um, uh, my phone rang, and it was someone who asked if I wanted to run for election in Canada. Hmm. And um, uh, um, I, I think I, I, I kind of left Canada conservative and came back a communist, I guess, 2001, I got a phone call and asked if I wanted to be the chief federal negotiator for a bunch of files in British Columbia in the treaty process. And at that time, I thought there was hope for a treaty process. So I, 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 I hopped in. I, I also believed that government had a fiduciary duty to the indigenous people. And so therefore, you had to negotiate not only in good faith, but with the best interests of the First Nation at heart in your negotiations. And I continued to do that and work towards treaties at over 14 different tables around BC. So until, those active files, Jim? Yeah, I had 14 active files. I had, well, two of them I, I would see once a year, you know, but the others were in negotiation. Hmm. So you, I, I, can, I can tell, Jim, that you're really driven by justice. Like you have this... You know, there's a there's a there's a place inside of you of what's right and what needs to be done. And in, in essence, you don't wait for someone else to do it. You're going to step into the fray and say, let's do something right here. I, I, I am sadly the, 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 the person in the room who yells assholes first. And <laughs> and it's always been a bit of a curse. Mm. I um, uh, my family will sadly tell you that um, I have a certain pattern of behavior that I think humans should use. And it involves kindness and decency and manners and gentleness. Mm -hmm. And when people say stupid things and people say hateful things, I kind of tend to be the, the guy who yells first. Mm -hmm. And um, I may do it with humor, but um, I didn't even let it pass in Honduras, and that's probably the most, and Guatemala, which are two of the most, well, Honduras, not so bad, but Guatemala is a racist country. Yeah. Wow. And, so, you and know, oh, yeah, no, they hate their indigenous people. So, and you have indigenous this, people are just right. the most amazing, you know. Wow.
but but no, I I think I I, I don't like it when government for no reason stomps mm. or tries to interfere with what are clearly rights of either indigenous people or people of color you know I, that that concept uh, i think uh, you can expand it you know yes indigenous people and people of color because those voices don't get heard right those are voices that gets that get suppressed and oppressed but i think that that concept jim is the, the step of government to, in essence, overstep and become super paternalistic and control and say, we know what's best for either Indigenous people or in, in the case that we're going to be talking about today is we know what's best for patients and we are going to tell them what they can and can't do with substances that grow on this planet. So let's, let's pivot this because I think that's a really good point that you brought up. Sure. Um, and, the reach of I government, right, in people's lives. And if I, if I could leave just one Indigenous point in your mind, sure. Section 35 of the Constitution of Canada says that Aboriginal or Indigenous peoples and Métis and Inuit have the right to self-government. It doesn't say they have the right to be told what their self-government is. Mm. And that's where Canada really fucks up. And other than that, and I'm happy now, I'd, lo I, 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 I'd love to talk about a different human right. Mm, yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's a really interesting uh, comment there. Again, the paternalism of we were going to tell you how to be self-governed uh, is, is, a, is a form of government that I think most Canadians are like, no, we, we, that's not what we're looking for. Uh, Jim, take us into your, and we're going to pivot here and we'll bring it all back together, but take us into your health journey over the last five years. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, yeah, be as courageous as you can and, and uh, tell us, uh, yeah, tell us about what's, what's been going on in your body over the last five years. Well, we talked about Central America and, and, and I was involved in other activities, legal activities in Central America that might have been a bit more stressful than just developing the resort at times. And I, I did those on, and for the whole time I was in Central America and South America. And when I came home and, and I got busy right away, of course, and I was off negotiating treat, treaties and then the, the federal government changed to conservatives and I'm afraid publicly I stated rather loudly I was a lot of things, but I wasn't a conservative. Um, I'd seen so much human suffering, so I moved on. In 2017, jumping forward, mm -hmm. I was working on an assignment with the senior assistant deputy minister and deputy minister of, of Indigenous Affairs Canada. And I was hired basically to redesign the BC approach and the BC office to treaty. And I did that. And I then or provided advice to do that. And then I designed a seven step reconciliation process for Canada to be used as a policy guideline for departments in how to reconcile the damages that we have done in Canada. And I noticed all of a sudden I was flying to Vancouver to do my work, but I was staying in the hotel. I wasn't leaving. I was getting to the point where I was afraid to leave the hotel. And then I didn't want to fly. Mm. And so in September, I, 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 and this assignment was coming to an end, and that was it. I, I left uh, the, the, the comfort of the Hotel Vancouver. <laughs> I came home and someday in September, I can't remember the date, and I didn't leave. 
And you know, first of all, I'm 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 a gypsy for God's sake. I'm I'm a descendant of Irish gypsies. I love traveling. I am never happier than than when I'm traveling, or at least I used to be. And all of a sudden, I was afraid to get on an airplane, and I didn't like to go downtown because there was too many people downtown. And I wouldn't go to restaurants, and then thank God we had a pandemic. You know, it just. <laughs> But anyway, um, uh, I guess a lifetime of trauma just accumulated, and wow. I was um, uh, seen a psychologist. I was seen a psychiatrist. I was taking enough pharmaceuticals to make my my father, who God rest him, was a Christian scientist, roll over in his grave. Um, uh, all legal pharmaceuticals. Uh, the the industry was blanketing my brain with a great deal of weight. And um, was it helping? No. Oh gosh. Well, yeah. I guess it was helping. I, I, I was still having five to ten, maybe fifteen panic attacks a day. Um, but uh, I, I, I think I kind of felt like I had a nice big uh, weighted blanket over my brain. Wow. I certainly didn't think I could work or do anything like that. Oh, that must have been devastating for a person who's been so busy and active and involved in global politics, even to be reduced to your home, to be not not being able to move beyond that because of anxiety and fear. That must have been absolutely horrifying for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I think I, I, I think I knew it was coming even before I accepted the assignment to go back to the federal government. Because I, I negotiated agreements in principle, which is the substantive part of a final agreement treaty, for both of my First Nation clients that I'd helped after I left the federal government. And so I, I, and I said, now nah, you're on your own, now I'm going home. And, and I think I knew it was just building and building and building and building. And there was no way that all the duloxetine that the company could produce was going to change that. And, and then um, also enough by Fenton to, you know, uh, get you an A for sure. But um, it, it, you know, I was taking sort of the maximum daily amount of by Fenton and I didn't even feel it. Wow. And so, uh, you know, between ADD and anxiety and I've suffered it my whole life and I've had a lot of different. I mean, first of all, I've had an incredibly privileged life. Yeah. I am a six foot plus ta a, a tall example of white privileged male. Mm -hmm. and, and my life has been that. And I have been incredibly lucky as a result of that, I'm sure. But even in that, you still accumulate trauma. You know, like wow. trauma doesn't escape you just because you're middle class. Wow. You know? Wow. Um, Jamie, that, that comment you made before, I want to pick it up because it's really hitting me and it's sitting in my body a little bit where you said, my body accumulated a lifetime of trauma. And I, I guess I just, you know, and it's going to back up on you. You know, uh, Dr. Gabor Matei uh, talks about addiction. He says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain right? That these are, our body is just, you know, is going to do it, whatever it can to protect you. And if it's going to shut it, everything down, because all of this trauma is locked in your body. That's, I guess, what you're, you're referring to. What, uh, I honestly believe that you, I believe that you accumulate in your life, um, a filing cabinet of issues that you just can't deal with. Mm. And, and some of us, 
needed a, a filing room to put the cabinets in. And, and I mean, they all seemed like fun at the time, right? But uh, no, um, uh, not all of them. But anyway, I, I, and, and I think eventually your body just and your mind just says, listen, you know, you got to do something about this. And I don't think there's a soul alive that couldn't benefit from what I managed to find for a therapy. So walk us through your journey then. You were kind of, what it's telling me is that you seem to be kind of at the end of your rope. You're in essence trapped in your house. You really can't work. You're, you're, you're kind of, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, your psychiatrist, your psychologist, your therapy, all the pharmaceuticals don't seem to be moving the needle. <clears throat> and then at what point in your life did you say, huh, I heard something else. I heard about this psilocybin. Talk to me about that, Jim. Well, I'm one of those really, you know, interesting guys. I mean, yeah, I, I, I worked and, and took photos for the Georgia Strait. I hung around there and I hung around with the people who created it. And then people say, oh, and you never did LSD. I never did. Mm. Um, I, 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 I did some peyote buttons at some time um, with some folks, but, they, you know, hey, they, they weren't enough of them and it, it probably didn't do anything. Smoked a lot of weed as a kid, because weed was everywhere, but it was pretty lousy weed. <clears throat> but the, um, I'd never thought of using hallucinogenics basically because of, well, my, like I said earlier, my father was a Christian scientist, and whether you, whether you are proselytized into that religion or not, and I never was, my dad was an amazing man, but he just did not talk religion to me, that wasn't his thing. Um, and, um, but I didn't grow up a real healthy trust of the pharmaceutical industry. And um, so anyway, flash forward, nothing I'm doing is working. Um, uh, I'm feeling like a, a, a victim of, a, of that um, a song, Anxiety, by um, oh, the Nashville 400 unit. Anyway, uh, it does matter. Um, the um, uh, uh, I can't get out of my house. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I'm listening on, and I hear something on CBC about Therosol. Mm. And they're in Victoria. And I thought, well, and they worked with all these palliative patients. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not palliative, but this isn't feeling much like living. Um, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't even want to take my family on a holiday anymore or go anywhere. I don't, you know, so anyway, I, I just sent them an email and, and then I sent them another email. And next thing you know, I'm in the hands of, of, uh, one of their amazing folks and they're helping me do a section 56. And that would have been June of, of last year. Hmm. And um, I didn't really hold out a lot of hope, but I had made up my mind I was going to, to do a therapy. And I did an underground um, therapeutic dose and experience back on November, I think November 8th last year. Wow, wow. tell me about that experience, Jim. What was that like? Well, I, 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 the day before I had it, I was experiencing, um, up to that day, I was experiencing probably five to 15 panic attacks, some severe, some okay. 
Um, can you describe like what, what was it, what was it like for you in the panic? Is it just oh, a shutdown? Are you shaking? What, what's happening? Well, you feel like you're dying mm. basically. And, and, but what you learn over a long time of these things is that, you know, Hey, <laughs> the other 5,000 didn't kill me. Chances are pretty good. This one isn't going to. And so you go through it, but they're very uncomfortable internally. Uh, the only thing you might notice that my ears might get a bit red when I, I have that happen or something, but nobody really would ever notice them. I mean, I was, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fucking negotiator. I have to be fairly good at covering my emotion. Right. right. But anyway, I'm not, but you know, you, you'd think as a negotiator, I would be, but the, 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 um, I, I, so anyway, I had a ton of panic attacks. Um, I was 40 pounds heavier than I am right now. I was consuming at least two bottles a day of really good sake. I was um, um, not getting out of my house very much and, 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 and a lot of other issues that were going on in my life. And uh, I, I, I went, we, um, I'd had a couple of small experiences ahead of that just to make sure that my I had concern about my stomach being upset too much. And, and so I'd done a, like a, a couple of one gram experiences before, which are just <laughs> I pleasant. Um, anyway, and then uh, the therapeutic trip was fascinating. Um, and, and I shade the headphones. You're listening to a playlist. I did for a while. Yeah. Um, but it, after a while everything just felt rather outside of that felt artificial and unnecessary um there was more than enough happening inside my mind to 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 keep me entertained i i didn't need to listen to any vivaldi or anything um uh, however pleasant that could have been i guess but i just wasn't i i wasn't into multitasking i guess um some of it was incredibly um, visual. Some of it was um, uh, unbelievably um, uh, joyous, loving, um, beyond anything you could imagine. Um, and some of it was a little dark and scary. And it kind of was a pretty good reflection of my life. Right, right. You know, I used to have a rather, uh, I used to have a sign that I loved and it said, this is a dark ride. Mm. And it kind of gave me anyone who was going along an idea. Sometimes it gets dark. And, mm. um, and so anyway, the next day, um, a little tiny headache in the morning. Um, and, um, started to do some just conversations about integration. Hmm. And I think I'd, I'd also say that one of the things ahead of time is I didn't really spend a lot of time on what we always talk about intention. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I, I think your mind knows hmm. kind of what your intention is. And for me, intention almost feels like expectation. Hmm. And, and that is so egocentric. And I, you're open I, to whatever I, was going to happen. I think the the secret, and um, I, I, I speak quite often to the founder of Theracil and and very dear friend of mine, Bruce Tobin. Yeah, Bruce, great guy. 
Isn't he amazing? Oh, yeah, amazing. I, I love Bruce. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I do. He's like a brother, and and um, you know, he just let the mushrooms take you. Yeah, and that's what I really tried to do. Mm. So, a little headache the next day, and you know, so what? Can't describe some of it. Can't remember parts of it. Mm. And um, now it's eight months. No, what is it? Nine months later, ten months later, mm. um, I've had no desire to drink in ten months. What? Yeah, no, I just, I just don't desire drink. Um, wow. Um, I mean, my 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 wife drinks wine. Her friends yeah. come and drink wine. Like the sake, the two like bottles of sake. We Gone. go out to dinner, everything like, and, and it's just not a problem. I just don't feel like drinking anymore. I, I can't. I think my mind just said, ah, that's probably enough. What about the, so getting no out of the house? What about the panic attacks? What about all that? I haven't had any. What? Like literally since then, none? I, I've not had one. What, Jim? What are you no, talking about? I haven't about had a panic right attack then, and I have no measurable anxiety. Are you kidding me? One six-hour episode of a five grams of psilocybin, and you're telling me your life is absolutely... I'm a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so you, had, you said you had six grams? Five and a half. Five and a half, and you're telling me one dose. Like, that's what people don't understand. They think you're now on mushrooms the rest of your life or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's one session therapeutically, and you're telling me your inner healing intelligence came out and said, this is what we're going to do. You didn't set the intention to stop drinking. You didn't set any of these intentions, and yet you're beginning to move toward balance and health. I'm engaging life. I'm not you drinking. Kind of, you kind of get to the point where you think that maybe, I, I, you know, I think in, intention, first of all, infers that you know it's good for you. But but do you know, oh, yeah, I know I drank too much. And Jesus, I'd sure not like to be anxious. Who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. But I don't think you set that kind of thing as an intention. But um, what I have found in that period of time, oh, I've dropped, and I, I don't diet. I, I You know, I'm not a diet person. I just eat less. But I've, I've lost 40 pounds. Um, I, uh, I'm i on the board of directors of Theracil. Mm. Um, I was at a conference in Duncan talking with craft growers, and I was at a convention in Victoria. I'm out in the world. Wow. And I'm traveling now. I've taken a client again um, just for fun. He's, he's like a brother. His First Nation needed help, and... and and he phoned, so I, I, I try to help them in their constant mm. battles with the forces of evil and oppression, and, or as we call them, public government. Mm. And uh, yeah. Um, wow. Uh, I'm back in the world. And I think that that is it. And, and if I, I, and it didn't happen just that day, it just no. keeps happening. That's amazing. Um, it's not, I don't think there's any residual, um, psilocybin in my system, so, but it's allowed for a certain healing of trauma, um, that, um, I think more or less laid at the base of everything else. Yeah, yeah. If it could be described, I always, my daughter is a very pragmatic person, and 
and she describes it as, you know, electroconvulsive therapy without the mouthpiece, you know, and and it's a more pleasant way to do it. Right. But it is like a reboot. Mm-hmm. And Robin, uh, one of the yeah. Robin Cartwright Harris, a researcher out of uh, UK, describes it uh, like a, like a, a, a snowfall that goes on the, the ski hill in the morning, like fresh powder again in your brain. And so now you had all these circuits that had been kind of worn into grooves and psilocybin somehow opens up your brain to have new circuits that can begin to form new patterns, breaking of old patterns and opening up of new ones. And it sounds like you took that fresh snowfall and said, okay, I'm going to carve some new patterns. And you get that opportunity now when you're doing it, Jim, and it's what, been eight months. And you're, I loved your line when you said, it's not just that it happens overnight. It's just that it keeps happening. What a great, you just keep waking up going, I want to be alive. I want to be engaged. Well, I think it's, um, it, 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 you know, I mean, it, this is, this is more than our conversation today probably could hold, but, I think what it does is it allows you, you know, um, whatever traumas you've had in your life, whatever they may have been, and one, and ones you may not remember. The hardest thing in any one of them, most likely, is to forgive yourself in it. I mean, you don't have to forgive the asshole that hurt you or in a kid or shot at you or something like that. You know what? What the fuck? You probably shot back at him. You know, you know. But um, it, it's 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 about forgive self forgiveness and self love, yeah, and understanding too. I think that at the core of everything, as we kind of try to figure ourselves out in this absolutely crazy place these days, you know, it's nobody ever said anything about anything but love, you know, and and. Um, you know, I love it when people describe this bright light at the end of their life and, or at a near-death experience or on an acid trip or a, or a psilocybin trip. The bright light, I think, is just love. Yeah. You know? It's the energy it's of love. Or what it feels like yeah. when you're on psilocybin. It sustains and moves and, you know, it, uh, it grows all things. All living things need, need this, right? Uh, Jim, tell me a little bit about, you know, we're going to pivot from your own personal story, which I'm still just vibrating with, you know, it's, it's shocking when you hear these before and afters, right? And when you're up close with someone like you, and you begin to hear the pain that you're in, and then to have this kind of wake up aha moment and, and after it's so, it's so amazing. And it just brings me to, it brings up emotion in me to feel that the impact that this could have on thousands, millions of people on our planet that are not engaging in life because of anxiety and fear. And then we have a global pandemic that raises that anxiety and fear up to catastrophic levels. And here we have a substance that's natural that our indigenous peoples have cultivated and kept and used in sacred ceremonies around the world in shamanic cultures. And it's, and it's safe toxicology reports are you cannot OD, you can't get hurt on the substance. It's natural. And yet our federal government says this is a schedule one narcotic on the level with heroin and fentanyl. That to me is absurd, ridiculous and wrong. Can you begin to talk to me about why a charter challenge is absolutely necessary on behalf of Canadians like you who need access to this substance? Yeah, um, I, I got a section 56. And it at 68 years of age, it turned me into a criminal. 
And not only that, they leaked my name, apparently. But it, uh, I, I, and I'm not going to be secret about it. Obviously, I'm talking to you today, but I find it hilarious that all their confidentiality and they're the ones that had the security breach on a list of names of people wow. who had um, applied for Section 56s. Now, and you were able to get yours. I did. I got mine in January. Sort of, yeah. we closed the barn door after the horse was out. But the the um, it, it's no different. I ran for the Liberal government in an election, and I had to get a membership card ten days later because I wasn't a member. Um, I didn't know that was part of it. Um, so anyway, the the uh, um, uh, the section fifty six that the minister gave me allows me to possess and. And, and use and, and destroy, and I, I can do just about anything with it. Yeah, I can't buy it. Mm. Right. It doesn't give me the, a right to a safe supply of it. Mm. It tells me, though, that if I do buy any, I have to report it to the minister, oh. which I find fascinating in that um, having been a, 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 a deputy in British Columbia and, and and operating at the level I did in Ottawa, I, I, the oath is a positive on the minister to report crime. It's not, uh, It's not. oh, geez, if you feel like it, you see a crime, you got to report it. No, if you know of a crime being committed, you must report it as a minister of the crown. Mm. So I'm going to confess to a federal crime to a minister who has a positive obligation to report it. It's just stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. And And... So then, you know, I, I thought, well, uh, and everybody said, well, let's get a, a, a safe access. No, they won't give me a safe access permit. I'm not terminal. Oh, they, no. I think, made a mistake giving me one before. Which is and, precedent now, though. Like, if they gave it to a person like you based on anxiety and depression, not just end of life, now there's a precedent. They're saying, well, okay. They've already done it with Section 56. Right. So, I'm not, and now uh, they're pulling back. Like, health is pulling so. back, right? I think they are trying to pull back. And, and, and I think it's, 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 it's unseemly of government to do that. It's not only unseemly, but it's also a violation of our charter rights. And, and um, um, you know, section, section 15 is very, very, very specific about an equal application of law. You're not allowed to, ministers aren't allowed to discriminate based upon their whim just because they use the word may. And the policy does not mean, well, they may be a jerk and just not do it this way. Mm -hmm. I, um, but even with all of that, what annoys me is that the people who want to help me and the people I need to do a proper therapeutic approach to this and not some, hey kids, just eat the slimy ones. Um, it kind of requires people who belong to professional colleges mm -hmm. to do it right. And here I have these people having to behave as criminals to help me. And that is that's ridiculous in a country like Canada, I hope. Yeah, yeah. And secondly, the medicine that I use is between me and my doctor. Mm. It's not between the good minister, mm. either one of them, uh, and myself. I don't plan on asking Carolyn Bennett for medical advice. Mm. <laughs> 
You know, that's a very interesting point, Jim, and I don't think that has been punctuated enough, which is the right to privacy between a physician and a patient to discuss what, you know, medications that that person may or may not need. It has nothing to do with the federal government, whether they get to weigh in on that. You know, we've already said that the, that the, that the physicians across Canada are trusted professionals and that they have the right in consultation with their patient to end their life in a terminal case, you know, made medical assistance and dying has already been established as a precedent in mm -hmm. law. We've trust physicians with patients to make these decisions. And yet here, you suffering with anxiety and depression, a, a, a member of society that wants to contribute to the good, we say, sorry, you, ca you can't get access to a physician uh, and a therapeutic uh, experience like this because it's against the law. It, it just, the more I sit in this with, with people like yourself, the more absurd this this law becomes well and i also think that it's 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 well the absurdity is 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 one thing the lack of compassion is another mm -hmm. um the 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 um uh, medical assistance in dying talks of a foreseeable death well i'm 68 mm. it's foreseeable yeah I'll give him a guarantee, but I, I want an outside bet on it. You know, I'm going to go for 40 years, but I guarantee you I'll be gone. You know, and if not, you can come and get rid of me or whatever. But it's it, that, that logic doesn't even hold because, you know, in one case, they gave a fellow a Section 56, and then a year later it expired, and he was still dying, and they wouldn't give him another one. He lived too long. Wow. So there, there is an insanity in bureaucracy, and, and trust me, I know I've, I've lived in it. And, and, and that insanity is, is so tied up in, in policy, and what does the policy say, and how do we make this work, and how, oh, we've got to be able to regulate it, and how do we do this without losing the power of the minister to regulate, and it's, and then the minister says, well, why don't we just do it? And the deputy minister says, ooh, that's a courageous decision. Mm. And so in Canada, what do we do? The only way our government, in all its great courage, uh, makes decisions around major social policy is when they're sued. Mm. When the people finally get fed up and, and put together enough donations for a little group like us yeah. um, to go to the federal court, and say on behalf of the 80%, I think, of Canadians who think psilocybin should be used in therapeutic use between a doctor and its patient. Oh, come on. Hmm. And then there's a, oh, twist my arm. You know? And that's how we do it. Yeah. Hopefully, hmm. um, hopefully we don't have to go all the way to the Supreme Court, but I think everybody's willing to. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that the kind of the plan is I, I talked to Paul Lewin on on the first episode and, and their plan was to put together the brief by kind of July uh, and, uh, you know, begin to submit the applications and saying, here's what we're prepared to do. Uh, the dream, I, I think, would be that Health Canada, be, once they're served, uh, there's an opportunity for them to really look, do they want to spend millions or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayers money to defend well, something that the Canadian public thinks is uh, ridiculous. You know, we, we know what the opinion of people out in Canada is, is to say, let's let this be in the hands of doctors and, and uh, therapists on what they do with psilocybin. It's a well-researched molecule. Let's be innovative in Canada and set the tone here. 
So I really hope that the, the Health Canada, once they get that brief, uh, backs off and says back to uh, you know uh, the, the the federal government, we need to reconstruct this law and we need to take this off the Schedule One uh, list and put it in the hands of physicians and therapists. That's what good looks like. When you when you take a look too, like Theracil, um, with the help of of David Wood, um, a lawyer in Calgary and a brilliant fellow, David and Spencer and myself, but to a, a huge extent, um, David created a whole set of regulations for the federal government. And I've written a lot of regulations over the years and a lot of policy over the years. It's sort of the product of government, sadly. Um, and it didn't look too bad to me. And I'd be, uh, what would be a wonderful thing is if they would take a look at this and say, well, let's look at those regulations. Because yeah. all it talks is about is prescribing authorities being able to prescribe. If they want to look at comparative legislation or regulation, it goes back to the old medical marijuana legislation. Mm -hmm. And am I fighting, you know, first of all, I, I, I you know, I'm kind of like my dad. I don't like prophetizing too much. Too much, but but am I am I advocating for the legalization and and street use for mushrooms and that? No, I think you can. I think you can um, probably you know snap a few springs if you get too carried away with with mushrooms. I don't. I I, I you know um, I I, I kind of like the idea of it being used. I think the way it was intended, and that is shamanically. And that we use doctors now. Yeah, yeah. These we are don't the necessarily need a doctor for this. No. But what we need is a shaman. But we, sadly, our culture has moved on. Mm, yeah, these these trusted trusted people that understand how to keep you safe when you're in an altered state, right? And mm -hmm. how how to, how to protect you and how to prepare you and how to integrate the experiences that you know. I think Sam Harris said it the other day in his podcast. The the debate isn't whether you know five grams of psilocybin is going to do something to you. The issue is you will have a freight train of information pouring through your cerebral cortex. What are you going to do with that after is the big question, right? So this is, you are integrating uh, this kind of work on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I, I just want doctors and, and therapists to have access to this substance. It's a tool. That's all it is, is a tool. And let's put this tool in the hands of the people that are trying to help. We have a mental health crisis on our hands. We think one in two Canadians will have a mental health challenge by the time they're 40 in Canada. One in two. And here yeah. we are. We have something that is can actually help people. And we can get off the pharmaceutical train that we've been on. And we can begin to start helping people transform their lives. And uh, why wouldn't we at least try it? I mean, I, I'm just saying, let's let's give this a try. Oh, I don't think there's, I, I believe, you know, I've, I've watched issues overtake government more times than government overtaking issues. Mm. Um, you know, uh, government does best reacting. And, and, um, and sadly, you know, you, you want a definition of political courage. In Canada, a senator like Larry Campbell has to throw his wife sort of under the bus for drug, drugging him mm. in order to admit he takes mushrooms. Mm. Like what's, what's, what's wrong with that? You know, uh, even if I had experienced a similar situation, I don't, 
don't think I, one, would have accused my wife lovingly of a felony. And two, um, I don't think I, I want to blame her for something that changed my life. Mm, of course. Wow. And um, if microdosing can do that for people, and I know a lot of folks who think it can and do, and, and yay, the mushroom, I'm sure, has many levels and much to teach us that we haven't learned. Oh, man. But, but I think in, in, if Canada has got, well, Vancouver's got stores that sell mushrooms. Yeah. Um, Dispensary. Um, you can buy mushrooms over the internet anywhere in Canada. The idea that we're not allowing doctors to use something this safe to be combined with training for the doctor, mm -hmm. as I can assure you, most MDs don't know how to guide somebody or do the pre and post therapy and integrations and so on that they need to learn from people like Dr. Bruce Tobin. Mm -hmm. Um, and your 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 friend in the in the Fraser, Dave Phillips, yeah, yeah, for sure, Dave Phillips. Um, so, if we're going to get to that point, I think at this point it's the government catching up. Mm. But maybe they need that little um, electroconvulsive shock that only Paul Lewin can deliver to them. <laughs> we we really, really hope, and as you said, maybe they're best reacting, and I hope they react in a way that, that brings makes sense and brings some compassion to the, to the folks that are suffering across Canada. Uh, Jim, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for being so honest. Uh, as we close it here, I want to bring it back to this issue of, of love. You talked about one of the primary things that, that was overwhelming to you was just kind of the power of love to, be, to restore you to connections in your family, connections uh, out, outside in the world, this, this kind of vitality that seems to be surging through that, that mushrooms are able to give you. Can you just give us a little bit of touch back into that for a moment, Jim, because I, I found that so moving and so powerful to hear. Oh, well, well, well thanks, Peg. I think, um, you know, I've always been fortunate. I've had a very loving family my whole life, and I've always been surrounded with that support from my family. Um, but the rest of the world had a tendency to look a bit like a battlefield, and I tended to treat it that way. And, and, um, um, uh, to now understand that, you know, everybody's fighting their own battle mm. and just love them for, for, for the fact that they're fighting it. Mm. They haven't given up. They're, they're working their way through it. That's and, compassion. You're back to compassion, compassion again. You, know, you You're can be compassionate, again. but you don't have to be accepting. Yeah. If people, you know, I, 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 I believe that no one ever fought in a free society for free speech to say something nice. And we seem to be confronted with those sort of things in life. Well, let's, let's just start to take care of each other and you'll be amazed at what happens. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I think the one thing the trip taught me is I, I know what it's like to be loved. And I've always known what it's like to love those who loved me. I didn't know what it was like to love people I didn't love or even like. And there's a big difference in, in understanding that at the end, it's all about just being loved. 
and 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 yeah, wow. that's what the mushroom taught me so far. But the adventure well, yeah. isn't over. I'm going yeah. again. Oh well, I I love that. Uh, thank you so much for that beautiful ending uh, and uh, of your story there. I love that you're back engaged in life. I love that you're on our side uh, in this battle with Theracil and and uh, taking taking the government to court. You are advocating for thousands of people across Canada, Jim. And I just want to give you all the support and courage. I'm going to encourage listeners to go to theracil.ca and donate. Help us uh, get the funding we need to do this charter challenge. We are doing this on behalf of, of many, many suffering Canadians. Uh, and again, this is not just end-of-life cancer patients. We know that's the front edge of the wedge. But we know there's many, many people and, and uh, opportunities to be able to use this kind of therapy. Uh, and so, uh, Jim, Jim, thank you again for your story, for coming on the podcast today, and uh, all the best in uh, as you uh, can continue to marshal this challenge. Thank you very much, Peg. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Great. Thanks so much. Have a great day, Jim. Ciao.